Welcome to episode 22 of More Than Just Maps. I'm your host, Ollie Powers. This podcast was created with the intent to help anyone in the GIS field get from where they are now to where they want to be, be that your first job, a career move, or just improving your GIS game overall. On this week's episode, I conclude my interview with Chris Wayne of Directions Magazine. We dive into his current business and how he not only helps clients with their GIS needs, but also helps them to create the need. We also talk about the difficulty of getting organizations to switch to newer technologies and the importance of networking. And finally, Chris lets us know how he comes up with his article ideas for Directions Magazine. Welcome to part two of my interview with Chris Wayne. Um, Chris, so last time we, t- we talked about a lot, um, what you've done in your career so far and some, some good little tidbits of advice there. One of the things I want to talk about, and I've noticed this with quite a few people that I've interviewed so far, a lot of people start their careers with doing a lot of data gathering. And I've heard this over and over again from, from people that I've interviewed. That's not really a thing anymore. I mean, it is, but not in the, in the sense of how it was where there was no data and you just went out and you got, got it. Um, now it's like, oh, we might need a company or a city or anybody might hire an intern to go capture specific things for a project but it's not going and doing the mass data gathering that I'm hearing that a lot of people started their careers with. So you're also still, you're still teaching as well. So what are you seeing from your students who have gone out into the world? Um, What are their first uh, jobs looking like these days? Because it's not, it's not doing data gathering anymore. (laughs) No, they typically come into mature programs, but not that's not always the case and i wish i could say more but i kept in better touch with my students but a lot of them will go into programs or a job that is project specific i mean there's never the data is never complete for example a colleague of mine works for a forestry products or they're not products they're a private forestry company in Southern Oregon, and they have logging roads all over the place. They're not particularly accurate, so there's still a lot of data development. So he's always looking for students to go out and GPS data or use aerial photos to make better roadmaps. Okay. Because it's out in the boondocks out there. I mean, it's really remote and really steep. Yeah. So there is still there is still data development, and I think that's still a good skill. It's not it's a good experience to go through, just to understand the complexity of building data, what it takes to build a database, and there are also organizations that are just starting out that really don't have anything. Of course, with ArcGIS Online and all of the base maps that are out there, there is a lot of pre-built data. But I think that data development is still an important skill for people to have. I think there's still a lot that could be done with that. And again, like I mentioned in the previous podcast with wildland fires or hurricanes, the world is dynamic. There's always going to be new things to be mapped. That's a good point. that kind of what you were going for? Yeah. Yeah. I just thought it was funny. I realized while we were talking, 
everybody kind of does that same thing. They go in and they're they're capturing tons and tons of data for for brand new programs. And that's not saying, like you said, there are new organizations out there who who are going to need that. Um, but I think a lot of that stuff can now be purchased, and it's it's not that it just doesn't exist at all. It's just that the organization doesn't have it. Right. And that's what I'm doing with my JS consulting is talking to a lot of organizations that may not have JS, but they do things on the ground. A lot of, I try to work with a lot of uh, nonprofits in social services and conservation, natural conservation that have a need for it, but don't have the capacity and they don't have the, means to support a full-time GIS person. One of the things I learned at Esri is create the need. Find the need, but create the need as well. That's actually a really good point. And that can help anybody, no matter where they are in their career, no matter what industry they're in. If you can create the need, you can guarantee yourself. Right. I know we're seeing that in our organization. We were talking with another software vendor and they were like, well, how many people use GIS? And my manager proudly said, every single department in the city uses it. Um, And he's worked very, very hard to make that the case because there's definitely a time when the city, when not every department used GIS and now every department is dependent on it. And and we're really thankful. I'm thankful for that. (laughs) Um, But we're helping each city or each part of the city solve its problems. So in a way that they weren't able to do before. So that can happen for, for any organization. Once you get everybody using it, this is the beauty of it, is that they start cross-pollinating. I mean, the days of stovepiping are over. It used to be okay. Public Works has their own CAD system and planning as the parcels database and they're using Autodesk, and they're using ARC, and those days, I think, are over. I hope they would, they were coming to a close. I'm and sure there's still some places that are like that, but they're, sure. they're going to start tapering off real quick. And engineers are always going to go with CAD. Yeah. This makes more sense, and planners are generally always going to go with GIS. And these are generalizations, but just from my experience in local government, that's what I've seen. And getting back to archaeology at Crater Lake, they were still using paper. I had, it was pulling teeth to get our archaeologists and our historian to actually capture a waypoint. Because what he would do is he'd have the Garmin in his hand, they were just using the basic Garmin's, but he, in his field notebook, he'd write down the coordinates from the GPS screen. Oh gosh. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Steve. It's already digital. (laughs) You just have to hit this button. You can give me the GPS. I'll download it for you. I'll make you a map. So that was. Yeah. At a previous city I used to work at, we were helping our parks department with something they're like, yeah, well, we've got these things. We need to we need to figure out what to do with it. And so they brought it to us. And I was like, well, what is this? And he rolls it out. And it's this huge roll of paper, several sheets of paper. He's like, well, these are um, 
these are the plots for the city cemeteries. This is the only copy we have that shows who owns which plots. And, and we all looked at them like, are you serious? This is the only record you have. And they're like, yep. And like half of wow. our department grabbed the sheets and ran it through the scanner immediately on the spot. <laughs> 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 so it just, it's just a lot of people are still very reliant on paper. <laughs> right. And that doesn't mean it's going to go away. Paper maps are still no. important. Of course, if you look at my article, I've yeah. done several articles on uh, the importance of paper maps. But yes, if you have paper maps, scan them. <laughs> Especially <laughs> so actually... in a situation like that, where this is the only copy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I actually want to talk about your work with Directions Magazine. Um, sure. So you've you've your career has has gone nonlinearly. You've gone everywhere there, right? <laughs> um, so one, how did you get involved with Directions Magazine, and what is it like? And this kind of feeds back from from your earlier um, days when you wanted to be a, a writer. Um, so I, I'm guessing this scratches that little itch there. Um, but how did you, how were you able to merge that all together? Your 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 love for geography and GIS and, and that industry and merge it with this and come up with this little fun side gig. Okay. This is a nonlinear answer. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing I would suggest to students is get a different minor. So I had a I ended up I became an anthropology major, but I had enough courses in my English composition to get a minor in that. So, and I've always just had a love of writing and a love of maps. And I also have a really short attention span. So that's why archaeology was good. I bounced around from job to job. And, and this is also the importance of soft skills. And one of my mentors, who's a professional trainer, doesn't like to call them soft skills. But being able to interact with people and talk to people. So I've always loved teaching and going to conferences and just learning a lot of new things. And the way the direct route to Directions Magazine had to do with a conference or a training I took with Esri called T3G. So, and it's still around which stands for Teachers Teaching Teachers GIS. So the idea is that they would bring professionals in and teachers and teach them how to teach other teachers GIS. So Are I've these met, like like high school and grade school teachers or university? It was all, it was all through the spectrum. It okay. was K-12 and higher education. So all across the spectrum. So great cross-pollination and we were there were 12 14 hour days and we all stayed in the same hotel down in redlands and so we'd be in class all day and it was very interactive great instructors joseph kursky charlie fitzpatrick and a lot of other talented staff so i met a lot of great people there and I continue going to events like that. One of them is the GeoEd conference 
in Louisville, Kentucky. It's sponsored by the Geotech Center. And it's the same idea. They bring a lot of educators together and have a lot of hands-on workshops, great instructors. So I met some people there and we've been in contact for years. And sometimes there are people that you know that you don't remember how you know them. Like I've just <laughs> always known you. <laughs> yeah. So on the last day of one of these conferences, I saw a Barbary out in the parking lot and they were getting ready to go to dinner. And this is just after I retired from the park service. We chatted and I told her, you know, what I was up to and like, are you a writer? Like, well, yeah, I am actually. I was like, well, I'm always looking for writers. Why don't you send me a sample and we'll see if we can get you some opportunities. And that's what happened. That was three years ago. Okay. 2018. And then apparently they liked my work because I've been doing it ever since then. <laughs> um, and- I actually, so I found out about you through uh, a few of your articles that you did for Directions Magazine, which I immediately was like, I need to get you on this podcast because mm. you, get, you get to talk about things like why cartography still matters. Uh, mapping different worlds. You you dig into some really cool topics in your articles. How do you come up with with them? Well, again, it goes back to that short attention span thing. <laughs> I'm a voracious reader, so I'm and fiction always, or nonfiction? Uh, nonfiction primarily. Okay. I read some fiction, but mostly nonfiction. I think I have about a hundred books. Uh, uh, atlases and map related books <laughs> and I, my wife wants me to stop but <laughs> i keep buying more so in fact i just got another one called the red atlas how the soviet union secretly mapped the world ah, so that actually sounds myself. kind of interesting <laughs> it's really interesting so i'm teaching myself cyrillic the cyrillic alphabet ah. so i can read some of that it's written in english but the maps okay. are yeah. So just, I think, that breadth of knowledge. And that's what I would emphasize to emerging professionals is there's something to be said for depth, but there's a lot to be said for breadth of knowledge as well. I have colleagues, well, former colleagues at Crater Lake, who work for the Park Service, that have been laser-focused in their careers since college. Mm-hmm. And they're great professionals. Two of them are Fulbright Scholar winners. And um, <clears throat> and they work on the lake. So they do lake biology. They produce scientific reports, peer-reviewed articles. And that's what they've always wanted to do is study aquatic ecology. I admire people that can do that and have that focus. I'm on the complete opposite <laughs> end of that spectrum unless you're wired like scott and mark and dave the aquatic ecologists or we have botanists too i'm just using these three guys as examples having that breadth of knowledge is really important knowing how to write i mean i never thought i'd be a writer again after i bailed out of my 
creative writing major. And here I am 30 years later <laughs> writing for a living. So, but how do I come up with the ideas? Yeah. Just from reading and getting a lot of ideas and talking to people, knowing people. And that's also going back to how I ran into Barbary at the geotech conference and how important it is to network with people and just keep your ears open and come up with new ideas. I'm trying to see, I can pull up my. That's a really good, another good point for networking. Um, We're always harping on people, network, network, network. Um, And and a lot of people are doing it for contacts for, for job opportunities, but doing it to exchange ideas and just get new ideas. That's also super important. That's how you're going to move, not just your career forward, but your organization forward is with putting new ideas, new life into your programs already. Right. And like I said that earlier, the days of stovepiping should be over. And that's also, I know we have no choice right now with virtual conferences and virtual Mm -hmm. learning. That's just a reality of it. But the face-to-face interaction is absolutely critical because the conversations can go into numerous directions. And you may be talking to one person or for if you want to talk to one person and someone else is talking to them, you wait your turn to talk but in the meantime you're listening yeah. to that conversation and then oh that person who was making you wait oh you know hey i noticed you said let's say a good example is i was at a conference and i wanted to talk to a fellow at the parks department the state parks department about how they math things but meanwhile he was talking having another conversation about open street math and uh, I'd never heard of OpenStreetMap before. And so after I, I asked the park guy my question about it was something about a database schema for, for park land or park building, something like that, something fairly mundane. But then I tracked the OpenStreetMap guy down and it's like, yeah, I've never heard of this. What is it? Explaining what OpenStreetMap was. And I haven't been a very vigorous participant in OpenStreetMap, but still I learned something about that. And then 10 years later, he was teaching a course on OpenStreetMap at a conference. So I went to that and learned a lot about OpenStreetMap. So, and that's been a subject of articles. So I got just keeping your eyes and ears open all the time is how I come up with these articles. I'm looking at my topics here. This is pretty good stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Impressing yourself, are you? (laughs) I'm looking at it. So, yeah, the Arctic, I mean, there's just no end of things to map. And there's always going to be new things. Like, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. How how the world's going to change. Like, what's going to happen. So there's always Mm going to be something new to put on the map how to prevent disasters how to let's see i'm just looking at the topics here 
I'm not sure how I came up with planetary cartography. That was originally a paper I did in grad school. And that was 10 pages long, so I managed to trim it down. Archaeology, obviously, that's because I did archaeology. Maps and journalism, that was more inspirational. That just the year of journalism being, journalists being murdered constantly. Yeah. Mapping the resources of absence. So I came up with that one because I managed a natural sounds program at Crater Lake. That was one of my ancillary duties. So I went to some conferences and meetings with the natural sounds program at the National Park Service, the Night Skies, and air quality groups. So they all had a really amazing conference together. But there, that was another sort of evangelism marketing opportunity because there was mostly scientists. And I was able to give the gospel of GIS and how, okay, look <laughs> at all the different ways that you can use GIS to map natural skies, or night skies, natural sounds, environmental justice. Uh, full disclosure, I'm kind of the. My uncle is a flaming liberal, and he's a state rep or a retired state representative. So he and I talk a lot about environmental justice, and I also taught an environmental law and policy course. So one of the topics in that was environmental justice. Just going through. Is this okay if I just go through the different topics and figure out how I tell you how I got the idea? Uh, yeah, I mean, we don't have to go through every single one, but it's still interesting okay. just to hear how you come with it. <laughs> and and some of the, again, a lot of it comes back to random encounters, geospatial technology in museums. My wife is a plant and a botanist, so we typically go down to Phoenix for Christmas to see my brother who lives down there. And we go to the Desert Botanical Garden, wonderful place. And I saw this lady with a, obviously a centimeter level GPS on top of the cactus. <laughs> so it's like, oh, what are you doing? I'm a geographer, I'm a mapper. And she explained to me what she was doing. So they're mapping every single plant in this enormous garden. She said, well, I can introduce you to the, to our GIS person here. Oh, fun. And that became... That started and it's like, oh, that's a good idea for an article. But I can't just do it with the Desert Botanical Garden. I need to talk to other people. So I was able to call some people at the Smithsonian and a couple of aquariums. And yeah, they just like when I get into conversations, that's what really leads to articles. Or on the other hand, with my Atlas articles, it's about getting into an Atlas and Oh, I'd really like to write about this. We could we could drill down forever into that uh, because we could, yeah. I'm I'm one of those people who will open up an atlas and just stare at it for hours and hours and flip through it and look at mm -hmm. everything on it. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I know there's some people who don't care about that, but there are a lot of people in the industry that are like that. So and it's just it's fun. It's so much fun to just pour over it. It is, and that's 
one of the ways I procrastinate from other chores. <laughs> All right, I knew you out in Splitwood. I'm just going to take a quick break and. Yeah, I have a, the unfortunate Put thing of having all my books on the bottom shelf. So when I'm doing my workouts, I'll be reading the title and be like, oh, I should look at that <laughs> after that. I'll stop the workout and start flipping through the book. <laughs> just just one minute, one minute, just a couple pages. <laughs> all right, well, thank you so much, Chris. This was a lot of fun to chat with you. and Sure, and likewise. Definitely, right. gonna, I'm going to keep checking out your articles and, and keeping track of what you're doing next, um, especially with, you had mentioned, going into voice acting. That's totally different from everything else. It is. Like I said, I, I cycle through things rather quickly in terms of careers and hobbies, but hopefully it keeps my mind agile. My next article is going to be about sports mapping. Well, that'll be fun. That's I'm a football fan. It's a it's wild card weekend, but all the different ways going all the way from Mesoamerican ball courts to and how those were mapped by archaeologists, and then all the way up through travel times for different football teams, things like that. I'll throw hockey in there for you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Chris. This was a lot of fun. Well, uh, thank you very much for having me. Anytime.